today's program, I want to focus in on a very important piece of information that you may have some awareness of, little awareness of, or maybe none at all. But it's absolutely crucial that you have this intelligence, if you will. You need to have access to intelligence. By saying access to intelligence, I'm not talking about your innate uh, human intelligence or your IQ or something of that nature. I'm talking about the fact that we can't operate our lives absent of the truth, absent of facts, absent of documentation. Because you see, we are being bombarded. Just imagine for a moment that you and I are on a different kind of military battlefield. It's, it's something composed out of the texture of your dreams. And on this military battlefield, we are being shot at by all kinds of weapons that we don't uh, immediately recognize. They may be futuristic weapons, they may be high-tech weapons, or whatever. But these weapons are, are destroying uh, our efforts at reclaiming our freedoms uh, at restoring our constitutional freedoms, like freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion. And then, of course, the Founding Fathers gave us certain inalienable rights, such as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which translated means this. It means that only God Almighty has the power and the authority to grant to any man or woman certain sacred gifts like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And our founding fathers meant more than that. They were stating emphatically that no government, no politician, no bureaucrat, no bureaucracy, no organization of human men and women, none of them, zero, have the right to take away from any man or woman the very sacred rights that God gave them when they were conceived, which is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, along with the other freedoms. So we're in an all-out war to preserve those freedoms, to drive back the very real forces of darkness. These forces of darkness have to be driven back lawfully, peacefully, but aggressively. And most of all, that requires a willingness on your part and my part, a willingness to take a stand for the truth, a willingness to, to speak out loudly, aggressively, but most of all, intelligently and strategically, so that we change the direction of the way the battle is going. And God has given us the power right now, at this second in human history, God has given us collectively, that's you, that's me, that's all the people listening around the world, God has collectively given us the power at this moment to change the course of the battle so that victory can be won. It is not, and let me, let me just say this as emphatically as I can, it is not under any circumstances the will of God for his people to be slaughtered, enslaved, confined, beheaded, tortured, shot, murdered, or whatever, or sent to concentration camps, or rounded up, and being forced by point of gun to receive uh, uh, vaccinations, 
or sent off to concentration camps where God knows what will happen behind the seclusion of the barbed wire fences. That is not the will of God. So the ball is in our court. You have to understand that. The time for excuses is is long over. The ball is in our court. God has given us the power, the wisdom, the willpower, the money, and the numbers. God has given us all those things so that we might be victorious in this all-important battle, because this all-important battle is directly tied into God's end-time prophetic program. God's love. God is love. That's, that, that's his main characteristic. God is love. And therefore, it is the desire of God to save as many women and men as possible and give them the free gift of eternal life if they will accept it. But mark my words, that cannot happen. That free offer of salvation, which comes from evangelism, that cannot happen if God's people in America especially, because we've been given so much, that cannot happen if God's people in America steadfastly and stubbornly refuse to obey the Lord. So so let me give you another hypothetical example. Right now, at this moment, at this exact nanosecond in time, I know with 100% certainty, no, there's no doubt in my mind whatsoever. I know with 100% certainty that at this moment, that at this nanosecond, God is speaking to men and women all over the world. And I'm not just talking about people who listen to this program, the Paul McGuire Report. I'm talking about those people and far greater numbers. At this exact moment, God is speaking to people, and God is calling people. God is summoning people. God is calling his true church to rise in the power of the Holy Spirit, God is calling his true church to rise in the power of the Holy Spirit and to engage in a law-abiding spiritual battle, which involves uh, intercessory prayer warfare. It involves uh, legal petitioning, voting, standing up, legal protesting, and so on and so forth. And all of these things, when they're done together, applies enormous pressure on all kinds of institutions. And despite the fact that the institutions may be militantly and steadfastly against that, they can be overcome. And you say, well, how can they be overcome? By your will. God, you know, evangelical Christians um, are are correct in their interpretation of the Bible to, to a, a very large extent. But let's not make uh, any mistaken appraisals here. The evangelical or the Bible-believing church in America, yes, it, it, it rightly divides the Word of God in many places. But in many places, it completely is in a state of spiritual apostasy, delusion. It believes in... Uh, spiritual deception. And that's what we're dealing with. That this, that's front and center in this battle. Because you have to ask yourself the question, most of the polls done over the last 20 years in America have said that, you know, there are 35 million 
born-again Christians in America. 40 million born-again Christians in America. I do not know what the exact number of born-again Christians in America is. It's in the millions and millions and millions, whether it's 35 million, 45 million, or 20 million. Even 20 million, even if it just was 20 million born-again Christians, but it's higher than that, far higher than that. But even if it, even if it was just 20 million born-again Christians, that is a numerical percentage that's large enough to turn the tide of the battle and to win victory in the battle. You have to understand history to know that. If you're going to insist upon being a self-appointed dummy, then you're not going to have any knowledge of the data and statistics and truths that history gives us. And if you study history, you see uh, a continuum of empires, nations, and movements where revolutions, where social movements, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, were won by, by 20% and sometimes far less. The communist revolution in Russia was won. They only had like somewhere between 4 and 5% of the Russian people, just 4 or 5% of the, of the Russian people were, were communist revolutionaries. The, the overwhelming majority, 96% of the, of the uh, Russian people, did not want communism. So how come communism took over? How come, how come the 4% that were communists conquered the, the 96% that were non-communists? And you, you see that re- repetition of how a minority conquers the majority over and over again. Because what history is telling us very clearly is that which way the battle goes, who has ultimate victory in warfare, is not solely determined merely by who has the largest number of people behind it. There are additional factors, such as the, the mindset of the people, the commitment of the people, the passion of the people, the belief of the people. How dedicated are the people? How much do the people really want victory, or do they really want to just play it safe? See, all of these are the factors that go into calculating the equation of who's going to win uh, the battle or not. So in America, it really doesn't matter if there were just 6% of the people were committed Christians. But, but fortunately, there are at least 20% of highly committed Christians engaged in this current warfare, and it may be higher than that. So the question has to be asked, given history, given the historical knowledge that uh, history gives us regarding statistics, here's the question that needs to be asked. With all, this, with, with all the large numbers of dedicated Christians engaged in this spiritual battle, how come uh, we are currently, or have been up until recently, losing the battle? And how come we have lost the battle decade after decade after decade after decade? See, there, there's a real disconnect here. There's a real, uh, there's a real uh, shock of insanity. There's a disconnect. Because, because it doesn't make objective, rational, logical sense. 
What is the disconnect? What is prohibiting the victory? And the answer is quite simple. It's not God's fault. There's no impotence or weakness on the part of God. God is Almighty God, and He's the Supreme Being. So what's the problem? Is, is the problem the, the big, bad, scary globalist elite? Do you really think that the globalist elite are a problem to God? Of course not. The problem, the root problem with the spiritual battle that we're engaged in, is the hearts and minds of those that call themselves evangelical or born-again Christians. That's where the problem is. Because when you analyze that group of people, you, you discover that among that statistic of people who call themselves born-again and evangelical Christians, there's a much, much smaller percentage that are actually committed, that actually believe God for victory, that are actually willing to obey God when he calls them into the battle, and who are actually walking in anything remotely close to a supernatural relationship with God. So once that adjustment is made, once that is rectified, then all of a sudden, in a time period that will be so quick, it'll make your head spin, you will see the turning of the tide of the battle. And, and no matter how much you, you may have doubted it initially, you will see God visibly demonstrate his power and produce victory that will be quick, that will be sudden, and that the enemies of God and that the wicked on the earth will tremble as they see God move in, in his power, his rightful dominion and might. So how do you fix that? Well, you got to, you know, open up the hood of the car and, and find out why the, the engine isn't turning over. In this particular situation, the, the root problem is unbelief. It's wrong belief regarding the Word of God. It's giving in to the idols of our age, primarily committing the sin of giving in to the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear should have no place within the supernatural body of Christ, and the spirit of fear should have no place inside the heart and mind of every believer. There should be no spirit of fear inhibiting what God wants to do. So, what is required, and I've talked about this in, in, in my books, etc., what is required is, is a twofold repentance. Second Chronicle 7.14 says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. God is waiting with, with great anticipation. God is waiting for God's people to pray to him, to come to him and repent of their apathy and their sins. God is waiting for that. And the minute that God's people will come to the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of their sins, such as apathy, then he says, only then, after the repentance from apathy, etc., only then, God says, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. America and, and much of planet Earth is in 
absolute desperate need of God to heal our land. America is in desperate need for God to heal our land. And God will do it supernaturally, but there must be the essential prerequisites met first. And that means if my people who are called by my name and they hear from heaven, if they call upon me, call upon me, my people who are called by my name will call upon me and repent of their sins. That means admitting, acknowledging exactly what the key sins are, like apathy and fear. That, those are the key sins, not smoking cigarettes. Apathy and fear. Then God says, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. So the, the millions of uh, angels that are following God, the angelic armies, are poised and waiting to be released by the King of kings and Lord of lords. And don't you dare, in your finite human mind, don't you dare set yourself up on the throne room of God. That's what the Antichrist does, by the way. So what the heck are you doing sitting on the throne room of God, acting like you're God, and issuing theological decrees as if you were God? That's what the Antichrist does. He sits on the throne room of God, pretending that he's God. You're not the Antichrist. but you are responsible for interpreting the Word of God accurately. And there's no excuse zone that God gives his people where you can say, oh, well, you know, God didn't spell this out. I didn't know that I had to do this. That's, that's all a cop-out. You knew exactly what you had to do. You had to repent of your apathy. You had to call on God, and then you had to obey God. And you, and you don't cop out by saying stuff that's way, way above your finite mind. You don't say stuff like, well, you know, God can't send his angelic armies uh, until the tribulation period's over, and uh, he, he comes at the second coming to descend on the valley of Megiddo, and then... God sends his angelic armies to destroy the Antichrist and the false prophet and all those who, who accept the mark of the beast. That may be true. But what gives you the right? The Bible says you're to rightly divide the word of God. That means you don't go far, too far off to the left or right. You're, you're precise. You rightly divide the word of God. What gives you the right to embellish or exaggerate God's word? What gives you the right? to curtail what God can and cannot do. God has every right. He's God Almighty. And there's no contradiction in the book of Revelation, by the way, to what I'm about to say. What I'm about to say to you does not contradict the written word of God. God can, at any time he chooses, send his angelic armies into the earth to wage spiritual warfare with the fallen angels, Satan, and all those who have accepted the mark of the beast when that time comes. But God can send his angelic armies into the spiritual battlefield whenever he chooses. God does not have to wait until after the tribulation. Uh, God does not have to wait until um, the... uh, uh, battle or, or war of Armageddon. 
if you read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you will see countless times, you will see countless times repetitively where God uh, sends in his angelic armies and destroys, I mean, he really destroys the enemies of God's people. The story of David and Goliath and the Philistine army. The story of um, the, the, the prophet uh, uh, Elijah's uh, assistant, who God supernaturally opened his eyes and he was able to see the massive invasion of the angelic armies. And he was able to visibly see, not only that, he could visibly see the massive invasion of the angelic armies driving the chariots of fire, which caused, once again, a massive retreat by the entrenched armies of the Philistines. And so time after time after time, we read in Scripture how how the evil armies were um, destroyed and had to retreat because God sent in his angelic armies. Now, notice that God did not have to wait till after the tribulation to send in the angelic armies. God sent in his angelic armies way back in the Old Testament, and he also sends his angelic armies in in the New Testament. All of this occurs before the Battle of Armageddon. So don't constrain God with artificial timelines. Now, the last thing that Jesus Christ said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven was he gave them a prophetic, uh, he he explained prophecy to them. As he was teaching them, uh, the the temple of Herod was was behind them. And Jesus prophesied to his disciples that, that not one stone would be left on top of another of this massive Jewish temple, the temple of Herod, that was behind his disciples as he was teaching them. He prophetically told them that Jerusalem was going to be invaded not all that long after Jesus ascended into heaven. And so that prophecy came true. Jerusalem was invaded uh, by the Roman armies, and they destroyed and dismantled the temple of Herod. They burned it down. They slaughtered over a million Jews. That's not the end of the story, because God made an everlasting covenant with the nation of Israel to give them the geographic land of Israel as an everlasting covenant. Everlasting means everlasting. It doesn't end. And so, even though that horrible atrocity occurred, it it created the environment for the Jews to leave Germany and to leave Europe and to have uh, Exodus 2, where they sailed by ships in large numbers and settled in the land of Israel. Now, notice, before uh, the tribulation period, before Armageddon, we see additional invasions against God's people outlined in uh, Ezekiel chapter 38, the war of Gog and Magog. And in this war of Gog and Magog, you see that there's a consortium of armies led by Russia. So there's the massive Russian military machine. There's 
Iran, there's Syria, there's an entire alliance of Russia, Syria, Iran, and other Islamic nations. And they move militarily from the north to invade Israel, and their intention is to obliterate and slaughter Israel and and completely wipe Israel off the the map. And it looks like they're going to do that. But when you finish reading Ezekiel 38, the war of Gog and Magog, what do you see? You see that God supernaturally intervenes in this invasion, and God drops massive hailstones and fire and blood, and and there's an earthquake. And what you see is that God himself supernaturally uses his own power. God himself supernaturally destroys all the enemies of Israel that are coming against Israel. So God supernaturally destroys the Russian army, the Iranian army, the Syrian army, and all the other allies in this invasion of Israel. And and why does God do this? To spread flowers, to sing Kumbaya, my Lord, to have a little seeker-friendly barbecue, to say, I'm okay, you're okay, and all the other dribble uh, coming out of the seeker-friendly churches, the apostate churches? No, that's not what God is doing here. I mean, this is going to offend the theology of those of you that have rejected the, the, the meat of the Word of God for spiritual deception, for apostasy, and for uh, other forms of spiritual error associated with the immersion church and the seeker-friendly church. It's going to upset you. Well, then so be it. So be it. As Joshua said, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So you and I have a choice. We can stand together or we can hang separately. Okay, I want to read you something. By the way, you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report on Paul McGuire. Visit today, paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. You are listening to the Paul McGuire Report on Paul McGuire. By the way, visit paulmcguire.us. Take advantage of all our free resources, all the special book discounts going on right now. The, I don't know, thousands of hours in the Paul McGuire Report radio archives. Visit our Roku channel where you'll see, uh, I don't know, hundreds of hours of teaching that I have given at uh, Paradise Mountain Church meetings and uh, all kinds of stuff. That, that will interest you. And then please help us by spreading the word, spreading our links, because censorship is alive and well, as you know. Okay, so why, why, see, this, this doesn't fit in the false theology of most Christian churches in America, but it's biblical. So in, in Ezekiel 38, we see God, we see a massive invasion of the nation of Israel, known as the War of Gog and Magog. Now, God himself, this time, sends in his angelic armies, he sends in hailstones, he sends down fire, smoke, earthquakes, and God himself uses his supernatural power to destroy the the, uh, enemies of Israel. Okay? 
God himself, God is going to use his own supernatural strength to destroy uh, the enemies of Israel. Now, why does he do that? Why does he do that? He does that because he is making a powerful statement to planet Earth, to every government on planet Earth, and he's making a statement to billions of people on planet Earth. And by the way, whether you like it or not, God doesn't need your permission for him to make a statement. Do you understand that? He doesn't need you to say, he doesn't need you to give it the good housekeeping stamp of approval. God is God. He'll say what he wants to say, and what he wants to say, he says in his word, not through a false prophet. So, um, what happens is that this invasion comes down upon Israel. Ezekiel 38, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you with all your army, horses, and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer, which, by the way, refers to Germany and all its troops, the house of Togomar, which refers to Turkey from the far north, and all of its troops, many people with you. Now, this is a lineup of Russia and leading Islamic nations. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be visited. In the latter years, you will come into the land of those uh, brought back from the sword and gathered from many people in the mountains of Israel, which had been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend to coming like a storm. So these nations rebelling from God are going to descend like a storm against Israel, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you, like an alliance of United Nations and NATO forces. In other words, the military arm of the Great Reset, the military arm of the World Economic Forum. Does that surprise you that Gomar would be part of it? Gomar's Germany. And Russia, does that surprise you? Klaus Schwab, who's head of the World Economic Forum, he and his father have, in the past, his father's dead, but in the past they had had, his father had direct connections with the Nazis. Klaus Schwab had uh, connections with the Nazis. And part of the enormous fortune that Klaus Schwab, the head of the World Economic Forum, uh, was able to 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 make was made um, building weaponry for the Nazi army and Adolf Hitler. You realize that. So is that such a surprise that the World Economic Forum, which is behind the Fourth Industrial Revolution and uh, the Great Reset, should should that surprise you that they're that that they're going to invade Israel and wipe Israel off the, the map? Could it be? that that deep-seated Nazi spirit has not yet departed from Germany? I'll leave that 
to you to figure out. Okay, so they come down to invade Israel, okay? Now, um, but look what happens. And, and it will come to pass at the same time, when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains will be thrown down, and the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against Gog. Now, Gog is more than a human government. Gog is a wicked, super-territorial spirit that, that hates Israel and is a satanic energizing force pulling together Russia, Turkey, Germany, Syria, Iran, and these other nations. So God's going to bring a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord. Okay, now read what the Lord is saying um, regarding God, this, this Antichrist territorial spirit driving the invasion against Israel. Every man's sword will be against his brother, and I will bring him to judgment with pestilence. Pestilence is a pandemic. It's biological warfare. Wake up and bloodshed, and I will rain down on him, on his troops, on the many peoples who are with him. Flooding rain, great hailstones, like hundred pound hailstones, who are with him. Flooding rain, great hailstones, and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Now, here is the critical message of God from his word Forget the apostasy, forget the spiritual deception. Forget the hollow voice of the false prophets that permeate too many evangelical and Bible-believing churches. Forget that. Reject it, because it's poison, the Lord says. Look what God is saying in his word. He is saying specifically this, that he is going to destroy uh, with fire and brimstone and hailstones and flooding and all kinds of stuff that God Almighty, the biblical God, is going to de- is, is going to supernaturally destroy the invaders, the would be invaders of Israel. And why does He do it? Well, God tells us why He does it. Thus, I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So God is speaking to the world. God is speaking to the media. God is speaking to the governments. God is speaking to the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, uh, Davos, Switzerland, uh, uh, the Great Reset, uh, the coming one world government. God is speaking to the earth and all the power centers of the earth. And he is visibly and unmistakably showing the world by total supernatural judgment, wrath, and destruction that God himself sends down from heaven on these invaders of Israel. He does it deliberately to prove to the unbelieving world that he alone is God. That's why it says, thus I will magnify myself. What does magnify myself mean? God is showing the world 
that he is king of kings and lord of lords and that you're not to mess with him. It's a warning that he is God almighty, that he is all powerful, that he is supreme because the world has forgotten that. But they will not forget uh, much longer when the war of Gog and Magog occurs and God supernaturally destroys the enemies of Israel. He will magnify himself in front of all the nations, all the governments, and all the peoples. And then he says, I will sanctify myself. Well, why would he sanctify himself? God is saying that he's doing this for two reasons. He's magnifying himself. He's revealing to the world just how powerful he is for his righteous purposes. So he's magnifying himself and he's, he's demonstrating his power for his holy purposes. And then he's sanctifying himself, which means God is telling the earth, God is telling the governments, God is telling his backslidden Christian church in America, God is telling all of these groups of people that what he has just done in terms of a demonstration of his wrath, his judgment, and his destruction, when he sends wrath and judgment and destruction down from heaven to destroy the invaders of Israel, God is making it clear that that is a righteous and holy act. That's why he says he's sanctifying himself. That means he's saying to the world, when I choose, when the Lord chooses to judge and send destruction and obliterate the invaders of Israel, that is actually an act of sanctification. He is showing the world that he is doing this in his purity in his absolute love, and in his holiness. There's no dichotomy. There's no conflict between the holiness and when, what does sanctification mean? Sanctification means to make holy. So when God sends this massive judgment on the invaders of Israel, he's doing it within the context of making himself holy simultaneously. Do you understand? It's imperative that the church in America understands who God is. He's not your buddy. Wake up. He's God Almighty. He's not your buddy or your pal or your ping pong uh, uh, game partner. He's God Almighty. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The church in America has lost knowledge because it has lost the fear of the Lord. So we see why God has done this. And then God says, and you, son of man, Prophesy against Gog and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around and lead you on, bringing you from the far north. He's going to put a hook in the mouth of the Russian armies and the other armies that reside in the far north, including Gomar, which is uh, uh, Germany. And then it, he continues to talk about this. Now, here's a word of warning to America. And America better better heed this, specifically the American church. Specifically, this is a warning to the American church. And this is what God says, not what Paul McGuire says. That's irrelevant. This is what the Lord God says in his holy word. God says, then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. You shall fall upon the mountains of Israel. In other words, they'll be coming hot and heavy to invade Israel, and as they come against the mountains of Israel, they will self-destruct. It will be be like they're running into the mountains of Israel. 
and obliterate themselves. Uh, and then God says, I will give you the enemies of Israel. I will give to you birds of prey of every sort to the beasts of the field to be devoured. And then it says this, for I, for I have spoken, says the Lord God, and I will send fire on Magog and those who live in security in the coastlands. Then they shall know that I am the Lord God. So I will make my holy name known. Once again, he's making his holy name known, and he's sanctifying, sanctifying himself by this act of holy judgment. When God judges, it's always holy. It's never biased. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people, Israel. I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. See, quit worrying about Israel. Some of you ought to shut your mouths about the spiritual condition of Israel, because God knows how to deal with his people, Israel. And he's going to deal with his people, Israel. And it says it right here that he's going to deal with his people, Israel. So he doesn't need your help. Um, and those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set fire and burn. Okay, so what we see here, what we see here is that during this uh, war of Gog and Magog, God says that he's going to send fire on Magog, which is to, to the farthest north of uh, Israel on the map. But then here's the key, the key words. I will send fire on Magog and those who live in security in the coastlands. The coastlands represent all the remote nations from Israel. Okay? The coastlands represent the United States of America. It represents Canada. It represents New Zealand. It represents Australia. And then once again, the coastlands represent the United States of America. The coastlands have enjoyed for hundreds of years, because of their distance from, from the proximity of, of military machinery, the United States has been uh, spared by God, uh, being destroyed, being attacked with nuclear warfare, etc., etc. But if America doesn't repent, and it's not the job—by the way, it is not the job, it has never been the job of sinners to repent on behalf of the nation. It is the job of the church, the true church, to repent on behalf of the nation. And if the true church does not now begin to repent on behalf of the nation— What's coming up, because COVID's not going to last forever, they will, they will play a game with COVID. They will, they will magically make COVID disappear. They will, they will play their psychological mind games, and you won't, you won't even remember COVID. But you will remember this, that those nations in the coastlands, like America, God is going to send fire on them. Fire could be simply God will send fire from heaven, and it will be a massive devastation. It could burn up a third of the American continent. It will be something, we know this, that since God is sending it, it will be God sending a supernatural fire down from heaven on the coastlands, America. Now think for a moment with me. Where else in history 
did God send fire down upon a nation? Get a clue. God sent fire down upon a nation to Sodom and Gomorrah. He sent fire and brimstone. And there was a great burning as as the wrath of God and the judgment of God uh, came down upon Sodom and Gomorrah by by fire. Now, in case you are tempted to indulge in in the self-righteousness and legalism that that has infected the Bible-believing church in America, remember this, that the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, Christians, Bible-believing Christians, love to isolate one specific group and say it was the sin of this one specific group that caused all the problems in Sodom and Gomorrah. Wrong. You haven't read your Bible. You haven't read your Bible in context. There were many sins in Sodom and Gomorrah which caused them to be hit by fire and brimstone. Some of it was that they had the practice of having sexual relationships with angels. Yeah, that's right. They had sex with angels. Okay? And that was long before other sexual sins. Read your Bible. Go to a church that teaches the Bible. Why do you go to a church which doesn't teach the Bible, doesn't teach the truth, and, as, is, in, and is in apostasy? Why do you go to that kind of church? You're under a curse. Don't you understand that? When you fellowship in a church of apostasy and a church of delusion and a church of uh, spiritual deception, you are part of Mystery Babylon, and you will be judged as a part of Mystery Babylon. Don't you get it? The Bible says clearly to his people, get out of Babylon. Get out of Babylon. So what are you doing in a church which meets every requirement for Babylon? What the heck is wrong with you? No wonder these psychologists are talking about that 50% of the American population is in a mass collective hypnotic state known as mass formation. There has got to be something cognitively wrong with you if you insist upon being a, a good standing member of a church which essentially is part of Mystery Babylon. I mean, it's, I mean, really, you've got a basic disconnect there. By the way, a basic disconnect is also a hypnotic state of consciousness. A basic disconnect in psychological terms is called cognitive dissonance, where you're disconnected from reality. One of the manifestations or characteristics of a hypnotic state is cognitive dissonance. You're disconnected from reality. That's known as a hypnotic state. Now, back to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were having sex with angels. You say, I don't believe that. I don't give a hoot what you believe. Your words mean nothing because you don't read the Bible. You don't study the Bible. You just mouth assumptions. Listen carefully. There were numerous sins in Sodom and Gomorrah. First of all, they did. they were greedy and they didn't feed the poor. Notice also, get your get your bias, get your hatred of sinners. You need to repent. You know what some of you need to do? You need to fall on your faces before God and repent of the sin of hating sinners. And instead of hating sinners, pray for sinners, evangelize sinners, and bring them to Christ. You were not called to hate sinners, you were called to save sinners. You got your, your mission statement upside down. Okay, so 
notice that when the first of all, notice that it was all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah that gathered around Lot's house to watch what was going to happen between the, the visiting angels and the men of Sodom and Gomorrah. Notice also that the men of Sodom and Gomorrah that went to Lot's house and with, with the desire of raping the angels, read your, read your Bible accurately. Their intention, do you think, these men were not stupid. Their desire was not to simply rape men. That's number one. So, so like, you need to rethink your position. Their primary desire was not to rape men. Do you understand that? Their primary desire was to rape God's holy angels. What would have offended God more? The raping of sinful men? Well, in this case, they weren't sinful men. They were angels. Satan was energizing uh, the men of Sodom and Gomorrah to rape the men. But the men weren't men. The men weren't human beings. The, the men who came there to rape them knew full well that these so-called men were, were the angels of God because they were sent to Sodom and Gomorrah to help deliver Lot, his wife, and his family. You understand that. So what they were all about, these so-called men who came to rape uh, other men, those weren't just other men. They were the angels of God. They, the men that came to rape, they came to rape the angels of God. Now, another important thing to understand is that it says that all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah gathered around Lot's house to watch for sport. What, what was going to go on with the rape deal? You understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to be tactful. And notice that when it says all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah gathered around to watch the rape of the angels, all the people means not just men. It's not just men. It's not just men and sexual sin. It's not just men. It's all the people means all the men and all the women. All the men and all the women. Not just men, it's all the women. The women were there to watch the, the perversity as well as the men. The men and the women. You can't just arbitrarily remove 50% of, 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 the, of the crowd. It was the women and the men they gathered together to watch. But the most important thing is the crowd knew that these were angels. But all the men and women that gathered around knew that these were angels in Lot's house. And then on top of it, the men who intended to do the raping, they knew these were not, they didn't come there to rape men. They came there to rape angels. And in case they, they, they got confused as they walked up the steps into Lot's house and began banging on the door and the door was shut in their face. Remember what happened? The angels opened the door supernaturally extended their hands towards the potential rapists, and they supernaturally blinded the men who had come to rape them. So those men were stumbling around. They couldn't see anything. Why? Because they proved that they had supernatural powers. They proved that they were God's angels by utilizing their supernatural power to supernaturally blind 
the, the, the rapists. The rapists were supernaturally blinded. The crowd knew what happened. The crowd knew that those guys in Lot's house were angels. The men who came to rape so-called men, they knew they weren't men. They knew that they were angels. So let's get that straight. So God has the angels protect them, and they deliver. Um, the, the intention was to deliver Lot, his wife, the daughter, from Sodom and Gomorrah before the fire and brimstone fell from heaven. Okay? But Lot's family was disobedient. Lot's wife specifically was warned not to turn and look back at, at Sodom and Gomorrah engulfed in flames of judgment. Don't, don't, don't be curious. Don't indulge in your carnality and turn around and look back at the fiery destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't look back. So what does she do? She directly disobeys God, looks back, and is turned into a pillar of stone. And then there's a lot more than that. But, but, the, but there's numerous points here. There are points in God's history. And the body of Christ in America, one of the biggest impediments to the preaching of God, the gospel, one of the biggest impediments to the success of evangelism, one of the biggest impediments to the release of a biblical third great awakening, is, despite all the big chest-thumping talk in the evangelical church in America, about, you know, we preach a message of grace, unmerited favor. The truth of the matter is that the evangelical church and most of us have a tremendous amount of legalism uh, intertwined in us. We, are, we talk about grace, but we operate uh, on legalism. And legalism is a hideous sin before God. In fact, the sin of legalism in God's eyes, may be far worse than some of the overt sexual sins that we condemn. Legalism, according to the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul calls legalism a false gospel or another gospel. Paul warns the church not to succumb to, the, to another gospel, which is the gospel of legalism. And why is that so deadly and dangerous? Because you cannot, it is impossible to be saved if you're receiving a message of the gospel of legalism, because legalism can never save you. So it's a satanic trap. Only the true gospel of faith in Jesus Christ, unmerited favor, can save you. So, so what does all this mean? What this means is we... The, the spiritual battle that we're involved in is not over yet. God is calling his church to repent, to supernaturally rise as he calls his people, as he summons his people. God is calling his people to supernaturally rise in order to occupy, in order to take back the land which Satan and the fallen angels have stolen from the America. Now, what primary infrastructure has been used by Satan to steal America away from the body of Christ. And that's where you got to dig deeper. America and much of the world is controlled by just 12 of the richest and wealthiest international banking families and individuals. Just 12. They control the entire financial empires, 
media empires, multinational corporations, energy corporations, computer corporations. These international banking families, many of them are secretly members of satanic and occult and Luciferian secret societies. In other words, they have sold their souls for money and power on the earth. We're not just fighting on the material level. The church needs to step up their game. The church needs to not just read it with lip service. The Church of Jesus Christ in America needs to learn how to, by faith, walk under the supernatural anointing, to walk clothed with power from on high, and engage in high-level spiritual warfare, where the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That means using the dunamis, the dynamite power of God. Because we're fighting territorial spirits on a global level. We're fighting not just people, we're fighting a a pyramidical hierarchy, where at the top of the pyramid there's the all-seeing eye of Lucifer. And these men and women love to brainwash American Christian students into not believing in the supernatural power of God, just as Nazi Germany that put Adolf Hitler into power through the occult secret societies in Nazi Germany. Adolf Hitler and the Nazi satanic occult regime, they they brainwashed the Christians and the Christian students through the German schools of theological higher criticism. Those are the same theology schools, by the way, which produced the critical race theory and critical theory in general. And they brainwashed millions of Christians in Germany to no longer believe in the supernatural dimensions of the Bible, to no longer believe in the supernatural power of Jesus Christ, the virgin birth, the second coming. They were brainwashed to stop believing in God's supernatural power, while simultaneously, at the same time, Christian students were being deprived of the opportunity to learn of the supernatural dimensions of God's Word simultaneously, the secret satanic occult societies that flourished in Nazi Germany, like the Brill Society, the Thule Society. That's why you see, I mean, if you think this is conspiracy theory, then you need to have your uh, prescription on your eyeglasses renewed. What the heck do you think the giant swastika was? The giant swastika was an occultic satanic symbol from ancient Tibet, and it came from the occult, the occult ancient Tibetan masters. And Hitler utilized the swastika from Tibet as a symbol of satanic power. Okay, it came from the Himalayas and satanic power that the ancient Tibet and ancient India knew how to operate in. How do you think they learned how to use the Kundalini force? All the Christian women who go to Christian churches and are doing the the yoga positions. What in the heck do you think you're doing when you're sitting in a lotus position and then you're maneuvering in these body positions? Every one of the body positions that you're doing is a specific form of worship to the ancient Hindu gods and to the occult kundalini force. When you are deep breathing in your lotus position, okay? What you're doing is you're activating and opening up the, the chakras, and the chakras begin uh, beneath your tailbone. They, they move up your spine 
until they finally go to your heart, and then they move they move up to the back of your head, and then the, the, the top chakra or energy center is right on the top of your forehead. And when you do this breathing with an erect uh, with an erect um, spine, you're you're firing up the occultic psychic energy. That's why it's called the Kundalini serpent power. Why do you think they use the word serpent for crying out loud? The serpent is the devil. How do I know? I've studied it, but more importantly, I practiced it. I practiced it personally for 10 years. I know what I'm talking about. So you got all these Christian ladies turning on the Kundalini serpent power, and it, it feels like a warm, hot glow going from your tailbone up your spine and into your head area. And it, what it does is it releases the Kundalini serpent power in your being, which opens up your third eye. You know, you got to, why do you think they put a, 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 an all-seeing eye in the center of a pyramid on the back of the U.S. dollar? That comes from ancient Babylon. The pyramid is the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel was a pyramidical tower. Okay, that's nice. Why do they put the all-seeing eye of Lucifer essentially in the middle of the pyramid? Because on a deeper level, that all-seeing eye of Lucifer in the middle of the pyramid on the back of the U.S. dollar represents the occultic all-seeing eye that comes from ancient Hinduism. So when you're meditating and, and activating this Kundalini serpent power, it sends this satanic energy up your spine, and then as it, 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 it goes right into an area about an inch above your eyebrow, an inch above your eyebrows, in the center of your forehead, as you're doing these exercises, the energy force opens up your invisible, all-seeing eye, which is an inch or two in the middle of your forehead. All of a sudden, you can see into the spiritual, demonic world and invisible realm. It activates your satanic third eye. You understand what I'm saying? Very powerful stuff here. And it, it allows you, through the Kundalini Serpent Power, to be sucked into a Luciferian energy vortex. Why are God's people playing with that stuff? You can have power from on high from God. And the enemies of God, God wants to defeat. But the way God has chosen to work is he works in answer to the prayers and repentance of his people. So we can change the direction of the future. We can reconfigure the future without violating the integrity of God's prophetic word. We can release true Holy Spirit revival and, and, and restore the authority of God's word before it's too late. But time is running out. And what you have to understand is that Mystery Babylon is a global planetary system that hides behind different names, such as the New World Order was a, a concealed name for Mystery Babylon. The Great Reset is a concealed name for Mystery Babylon. And when you read the book of Revelation, Mystery Babylon is this temporary world system or this temporary satanic world system that God is going to bring to an ending, to a close. Now, at that time, Christ will return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, along with the armies of heaven, along with God's angelic armies, the chariots of fire, 
and God then God will descend upon Israel. God will descend upon um, Armageddon, and then God will destroy the Antichrist, the false prophet, all those who've received the mark of the beast, all those who've plugged themselves into the hive mind and the world brain. Uh, they are going to be destroyed or sentenced for all eternity into the lake of fire. But between now and then, you know, I don't want to offend anybody. Please don't, don't, you know, take my, I'm not speaking of anybody personally. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feeling, feelings, but sometimes you have to speak with a wallop and a punch to get your, to get your message across. God did not call his people to, to enter into this collective hip- hypnosis, which functions very much like a kind of collective mass Alzheimer's. God wants, that's why the Bible says, awake sleeper, arise from the dead. He's talking about it in spiritual terms. Awake to, to those of you that are spiritually sleeping. Wake up. When you wake up in the power of the Holy Spirit, you are awakened. Not like in woke culture, that's per, a perversion. You awaken in the power of the Holy Spirit. When you awaken in the power of the Holy Spirit, you are then invigorated with an authentic and biblical third great awakening. And God will use that. He'll send that power upon his church to bring in a mighty last day's soul harvest that no demon, no government, no group, nothing will be able to stop it. But but God's people have to begin on their knees in, in warfare. Even if you pray two minutes a day, you do it every day. And if you aren't even praying two minutes a day, a revival for your nation. I have nothing more to say to you. I'm not mad at you. It's just like you needed. To, you needed to go to the exit sign, and and just 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 admit to God. Just say to God, you know what? Since since in truthfulness, I am completely disengaged in the greatest spiritual war in the history of the world. Then at least I'm going to have the integrity to walk out the door that's lit up and says exit, and cop to who I am. I hope that doesn't happen. I really do. I, there's sarcasm in that to grab attention. I hope that doesn't happen. But please, this is from my heart. If every person listen to me, listening to me would, would plug in, would become active, would become a prayer warrior, would begin to obey the voice of God and do what God tells them to do, if every person listening would truly, quit faking it, would truly give it all that they have, if every person listening would either partner with this ministry or some other ministry which is doing the job. And by the way, uh, I'm thankful for people who communicate with integrity conservative messages, but conservative messages in and of themselves, divorced from biblical truth, cannot change anything. Only Jesus Christ has the power to defeat this present Luciferian system. Never forget that. Conservative politics is fine, but it's not going to uh, turn the tide of the battle, nor will it give you the power to, to be victorious in the battle. So I need you to pray like, like, like you're serious and pray for me, this ministry, my family, for God's supernatural protection, anointing, and pray for others. I need you to spread our links, our messages far and wide. That's why 90% of the stuff on the website is absolutely free. But that means people are supporting it by donations. And then obey God by 
when the Lord speaks to you or puts an impression on your heart about how much to give financially with your donations or your contributions, then then don't cop out. Whatever the Lord, whatever the amount is that the Lord is impressing upon you to give, then obey him. Give what God has told you to give. And, and by the way, if you're waiting for a perfect minister or a perfect uh, ministry to give to, it ain't going to happen. Because you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. None of us is perfect. So you give prudently, prayerfully, and intelligently to the minister or ministry that you believe is attempting uh, to the best of their ability by God's grace to, to bring about a message that will bring about the most fruit, the most change in the fastest period of time, which is what I want to close on. We don't have much time. If we seize the time, we can turn it around. And the burden that the Lord has put on my heart is to reach as many, to reach as many people as possible as fast as we can and as effectively as we can. And that means we need to rate, we need to increase the amount of monies um, we bring in through donations, etc. Why? For greed? <laughs> Look at my lifestyle. It's not for greed. Believe me. I am aware that I'm a mortal human being. I've asked God to give me a certain number of years on planet Earth for both my family and so that I will have sufficient time to accomplish the mission he's called me to. That's, that's what I want. That's all I want. I don't want a big fancy car. I don't want a big mansion. I, I don't care what size TV I have. I mean, I outgrew those aspirations decades ago. It doesn't matter. I can watch it on my cell phone, which the cover is cracked because I've dropped it. I'm not going to run to the store. Hey, you can do that. That's fine. I'm not knocking you. Maybe, maybe you're in a business that it looks stupid to have a cracked cell phone. I'm not celebrating cracked cell phones, but that's not my priority. You know what turns me on? You want to know what really turns me on? Bring somebody to Jesus Christ, ministering to somebody under the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the Lord, by his grace, use me in my earthly life to ignite the fires of revival. May my words, O Lord God Almighty, be anointed with the breath of heaven. And may my words be pure, spoken out of your heart, God. And may may they be ignited with the flames of heaven, God, so that they burn the demonic powers, so that they dissolve the chains of hell. And that most of all, Lord, the, the words that you give me to utter through this microphone would literally set your people on fire, the dunamis dynamite power, the explosive power of God, power from on high, that the words that I speak would literally ignite people on fire with the power of God, not because of any virtue, nobility, superiority, or or self-perceived holiness on my part, because that would be a delusion. Simply, I'm asking you, God, asking you for these things out of your grace, unmerited favor. Lord, may there be a blessing on every one of your people listening. Whatever their need is, Lord, may the blessing of God come upon them, drive out the work of darkness, and supply the need, whatever it is, body, soul, and spirit, God, in the name of Jesus. And Lord, comfort them with a powerful anointing which breaks bondages on every level. Send them, Lord, right now as they seek your face. Send them power from on high. God bless you. I'm your brother in Christ. Visit paulmcguire.us.